0: Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr, and I'm with Albert Reyes. And today, we're going to be talking with Albert about several questions regarding racism and abortion. So, Albert, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team Podcast. Um, Would you introduce yourself um, by telling us a little bit about your backstory and how you Became connected with the topic of abortion.
1: You bet. Well, I'm uh, I started out uh, as a, a young man. Uh, answered a call to vocational ministry at the age of uh, 15. Came to personal faith in Christ at the age of nine. Was baptized when I was 10. And when I became uh, got to the age of 15, I just uh, I, I don't know. I, I felt like there was something else I could do other than just attend church, you know, and and I had this feeling and yearning to serve more. So I went to the the front there and told the pastor in one of our services. And then I preached the first time when I was 16. Uh, And then um, when I was 18, the church that I went to, the First Mexican Baptist Church of Corpus Christi, uh, licensed me to preach at age 18. Went off to college, uh, earned a BBA in management and um, Worked uh, work worked my way through with the local grocery store, Safeway, and then also the university bookstore. My parents had uh, a couple of businesses, uh, you know, while I was growing up. So I grew up in the family business: grocery stores, laundromat, hand, uh, candy, uh, candy wholesale distribution. So uh, we were always in a work in a work environment. So we either at church, at the store, or we um, were at school. So. Didn't really have time to get in trouble, and so uh, uh, my dad was a former Marine and uh, law enforcement officer. So you know, there's not not a lot of space for wiggle room for for getting off track there. So uh, uh, went to Angelo State University, earned a BBA in management, and then uh, uh, met my wife. I was about um, future wife. I was about I think 18 when I sang uh, in a quartet at her church, and so I. Saw her there in the audience, I thought, okay, there's a, this is a special service today. So <laughs> I went to meet her and, uh, you know, we kind of uh, traded phone numbers and stayed in touch. She went to Baylor University, I went to Angelo State. and So I know the road between Waco and San Angelo pretty well, at least in those years of college. Uh, and then uh, we both graduated. She went into uh, speech communication disorders, speech pathology, and I did business and then went on to seminary. We were married in 1982 uh, and uh, Southwestern Seminary went and studied there. So I continued to work uh, full-time uh, at a company called U.S. Telephone. It was uh, GTE Sprint. And then Sprint was the name that we got stuck with. And today it's, it's still Sprint. So it was interesting to be working uh, full-time uh, at Sprint and customer service, going to seminary. She was... Um, going full-time to do her master's and then PhD at the Callier Center, uh, University of Texas at Dallas and PhD in communication disorders and brain sciences. And I was plugging away at seminary degree. Uh, she graduated first. So there've been lots of days and years when, uh, they'd call the office, they call home and say, is Dr. Reyes there? And I would say, yes, she sure is. You let me get her. She's in the kitchen, you know? And, uh, and so I, I finished seminary with a master of divinity and then, uh, Went on uh, to pastor full time in Dallas uh, and worked on a, on a doctoral degree. And uh, so um, finally earned a doctor of ministry and study of missions, missiology. Then we moved to El Paso and we started a church there. She was on faculty at Texas Christian University in the uh, speech, hearing, communication department, Miller Speech and Hearing Clinic. And so uh, she quit that on a tenure track position and we went to. El Paso, where we started a church there, Pueblo Nuevo Church. By the way, this weekend, uh, tomorrow, I'm headed over there to speak at their 25th anniversary service. Uh, so we started a church there. She went to work at University of Te- Texas at El Paso. They had a speech and hearing uh, program there. So she went to work there and uh, we started the church together we're there for seven years. We, um, Our three sons were born there. Uh, our first, uh, pregnancy, the child passed away, a little girl passed away, uh, into the, I guess the 12th week of the pregnancy. So we lost our first baby while we were in Dallas. And I was, I was pastoring at a church uh, there in close to Love Field. So we, we had to recover from that and moved to El Paso to start a church. And there she, she became well, and then, uh, we we're able to have babies there. So that's seven years and three babies went there without a church, no kids, left her with a church and three kids so it was uh, it was pretty pretty much uh, of an adventure lots of fun there in El Paso Texas from there we moved to San Antonio so once again she stepped out of a tender track position that she was in and uh, we moved to uh, San Antonio where I became president of the hispanic seminary uh there uh that later led it to become baptist university of the americas so i led it to be uh my job was to help them get accredited and certified to grant degrees which we did all that and that's a, a great run there seven years in san antonio uh, and then from there we um moved to dallas where i've joined buckner international uh and once again my wife but she was in a uh, Tenure track physician, Our Lady of the Lake University. She she became disabled there uh, with uh, chronic fatigue and chronic pain, fibromyalgia. So di- didn't she wasn't able to continue. She worked there until she had to stop. And um, and so we moved to Dallas and uh, we've been married 42 years, be 43 here in January. Of course, our sons went with us and um, I've been working now with Buckner, first as the president of the Children Family Services Division and then in 2010 uh became the the sixth president of Buckner in uh, in 144 years uh this year's 144 years so i've been at it for 16 years the last uh 11 as ceo so i'm still a, a minister still preach still get to fact uh, this weekend preaching write books you know so because of the combination of business management and ministry it, it was a good a good fit for that role And uh, while I was at at San Antonio, I started a PhD program in leadership at Andrews University, a second doctorate, and uh, finished that while I was at Buckner. So i was able to finish the dissertation and so on. So um, it's been a great run and working with Buckner has just been awesome. We uh, we do three things, protect children, strengthen families, and serve seniors, or transform generations by serving seniors. And so, um, off the bat, I would say, as it relates to abortion and life and, and, and so on, is that um, our mission, the mission I signed up for, and we had to change it a little bit because it, it was too long before nobody could remember it, including the CEO. So uh, uh, I uh, penned a, a new one that was similar to what we had, but a lot easier. I wanted to make it something that we could all remember and be hard to forget. So we, we, we signed up for a mission uh, uh, that to follow the example of Jesus in serving uh, vulnerable children, families, and seniors. And then our, our vision of where we're headed is to set the standard of excellence in serving vulnerable children, families, and seniors. So that's easy to remember, um, not as long. Um, and so we have values that we work by. But this is a ministry that started in 1879, right after the Civil War. And from the very beginning, Our founder, who was a Baptist pastor, um, you know, uh, he did all the things ministers do. But in addition to pastoring and everything that he did, write sermons and so on, he really had a heart for children and and families that struggled. So he he, on his own started this ministry, um, 1877, gathered deacons together, uh, said, you know, he had seen a lot of dads die in the Civil War and not come back Texas was in the Confederacy defending slavery, and a lot of dads went from the South to fight and did not return, lost their lives. So he saw this happen. He's, he was here uh, in 1859, right before the war, and then saw dads leave, then did, saw that they not come back. A lot of moms, uh, widows became, uh, mothers became uh, widows, and then a lot of those widows didn't survive imagine being a single mother in the 19th century you're trying to raise your children and your husband dies you don't have a way for income and then disease would set in just a lot of moms didn't survive didn't make it so actually he saw a lot of children become double orphans or we call them double orphans where both mother and father are gone no one to take care of them and that really bothered him and so he called deacons together and said we got to do something about this so they they raised about two hundred dollars uh 1877 and then the the deacon board said when when you get to 2000 you can start so two years went by they got all the way up to 1200 and uh finally uh he put 800 dollars of his own money so imagine how much is 800 dollars in 1879 that's a chunk of money today and uh he put the money in uh lent it to the ministry and they started uh in that year with uh the buckner Orphans so they rented an, a home here and in, uh, in in dallas uh junius and haskell and then within the year in 1880 he bought 42 acres and it's over there on uh, Buckner and Samuel Boulevard in Dallas when you go down uh, 30 East you can see this sign this is Buckner Boulevard and uh so today we still own that for instance 1880 to 2023 we still own those 40 acres and uh, our historic campus is there plus a lot of other places so uh that's that's kind of a quick quick uh, background of of how I'm connected to um this this issue where we just believe in life and every life is precious from biblical standpoint that you know god created us in our mother's womb and it's sacred the sanctity of life as baptists believe in that and i'm sure other christian denominations do and and so we just really um you know we don't want to just be thinking uh that we're against abortion and not be for what happens when the child is born right so we, we we're saying we're for children and for life we 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 wanna provide and every, every child should be uh, deserving of a family. And uh, that's the best place for children to grow up, right? And to learn, grow and develop is to is to have a healthy family and a safe environment to live in. Uh, we started out as the first orphanage west of the Mississippi but we don't do orphanages anymore in the US and they're certainly not at Buckner. We've transitioned from that type of institutional care which, which is better than nothing to more in-home care with family-based care foster care adoption. So we we are a, a contract license placing agency with the state of Texas. So when CPS removes a child, we're one of the agencies that are called. Not all agencies are faith-based. About 25% of them in Texas are faith-based. The other 75% don't have a faith orientation. And so the state has a range of agencies they call. We're one of them. And of course we're faith-based. We don't back off of our faith. And uh, we are allowed, along with the other 25%, to practice uh, the best practices we can offer with a faith orientation. In our case, it's, it, it's faith in Jesus. So hopefully that gives you an idea of, of where we're coming from. Sure.
0: <clears throat> yeah, thank you for sharing your backstory and yeah, your journey there. Um, so in your opinion, are minorities in America mostly pro-choice, pro-life, undecided, or something else?
1: Well, first of all, let's talk about who we're talking about min- uh, minorities. You know, we're talking about uh, non Anglo-Saxon uh, people of non Anglo-Saxon uh, descent. So that would include uh, Hispanics. Which, if you think about Hispanics in general, um, that that's a multicultural group. You know, you you have Tejanos, Mexicanos, Guatemaltecos. The list goes on. You know, uh, you know from Puerto Ricanos, just Puerto Ricans, El Salvador. So all kinds of people. In fact, most of the Western hemisphere is made up of Latin American people, but they're not monolithic. They're very different um, by language, culture, uh, even though they're in one group, but they're very, very multicultural in and of itself. And so that would be Hispanic, Latin American people, uh, and then African uh, uh, American people or Af- people of African descent, Of course, that's a racial distinction, but you you consider minority as well. And then you have Asian uh, folks and then uh, Alaskan or native uh, Alaskan people, (coughs) excuse me, and then from other parts of the world as well. But I think the big groups, when we say ethnic minorities, we're talking about Hispanic and African-American and and possibly as well, Asian folks would be the broad strands. But I would say that... um, Studying the culture, one one of my degrees is in missiology, which which, uh, connects to cultural anthropology, cross-cultural studies. And so as I've studied different uh, people groups around the world, um, the people group that are um, ethnic tend to be family-oriented. In fact, I would say for Hispanic people, the very center of, of, uh, of Hispanic culture is the family and there's a leaning towards collectivism versus individualism so uh, in other words you don't have an identity outside of a group uh whereas in uh western culture or anglo euro-american culture there's this idea of individualism it you know you can identify identify yourself as me and not necessarily talk about who you're connected to in hispanic culture you don't really have an identi- identity unless you can say i'm of this group, I'm a member of this group, right, or that group, I'm the Garcias, or I'm from the Reyes, or I'm from, you know, the Tejanos, or whatever group you're. There, there really has to be a group orientation. At the center of that culture is family. And I see some of the same trends in African uh, culture, as well as Asian culture, a lot of very tight-knit nuclear and extended family um uh, ways of organizing yourselves and living out the the rules of culture are really along those fam- familial lines and so i would say in general based on that study that uh you're you're going to have people that value life and the children that are born in the li- in, in those lives in that community as being more celebrating life uh, than uh than perhaps other cultures okay
0: um when it comes to race and racism, well, race and racism are politically charged ideas that candidates often use to drum up votes, motivate their base, demonize a political a political opponents. When race is combined with the topic of abortion, candidates can swing a lot of votes in their favor by saying the yep. right thing about race and abortion. In your view, how can uh, Hispanic voters avoid being taken for granted and stay principled enough to navigate through the rhetoric and manipulation?
1: Well, you know, so, so, you know, there, there's interesting, that's a great question, uh, Jacob. And I think that, uh, so here's a thought that I just finished telling you that minority and ethnic people tend to be more uh, valuing life and the children uh, and so on. Now, Now, at the same time, most abortions are done, are held, are are acted out by minority women, and so then those two those two facts kind of collide. You know, uh, right now uh, I, I saw a, a, a survey or a, a data in that in the U.S. If you were to add up all the abortions, 33% of them are are, are had by uh, white Anglo-Saxon women, 39% by African American or Black women twenty one percent by Hispanic and seven percent from other so um, when you add black and Hispanic together they're going to be the largest group of abortions happening so I think we have to ask ourselves well if the value is for life then why why is the why are the numbers skewed in that direction and uh, so I think we can probably in additional questions get get to un- some underlying issues of why it is that ca- and what can be done but I think that um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tempting to, um, to, to listen you know, to what the messages are, uh, and then when you mix race with abortion, definitely uh, sound bites and messaging could, could cause someone to lean one way or the other. But I think if I were to speak uh, toward the Hispanic community, you know, 21% would be smaller than the other two groups from white Anglo females and black females as well. Thirty-three and thirty-nine. The Hispanic community is lower at twenty-one percent. There's a high value for the child in in the in the family, and uh, I think that uh, that's the, the the community is is pretty much headed in that direction and reflects that. Um, and messaging about who we are and the message about you know killing your child uh, just doesn't really resonate with his the Hispanic community. <clears throat> yeah.
0: Uh, so some claim that uh, Black or Hispanic people, and well, and pregnant Black or Hispanic women in particular, uh, typically receive unequal medical care. So pregnancy poses a higher risk for Black Hispanic women compared to other women. Is this true? And if so, would it help justify abortion choice policy?
1: Well, I found out that um, that uh, there are twenty seven and a half million uninsured people in the U.S. And of that twenty seven and a half million, six of 10 are people of color. So 60 percent of all people that are uninsured are people of color, which be Hispanic and African-American. Hispanic people have the highest underinsured ratios uh, in the nation and Latinos are three times more likely to be uninsured than their non-Hispanic white uh, peers. So I, I do think that economics has a, a, a factor to play and the lack of insurance, perhaps the lack of access to health insurance and health care, uh, is a major issue. And, um, and I did notice that uh, minority uh, women uh, tend to have the more un- unplanned pregnancies than those that are not in those minority groups. And so I think it's a combination of perhaps uh, uh, preparation, education, access to health care, uh, and then just the incidence of, um, of unplanned pregnancies. Then, then you have women that are in a dilemma with no insurance to pay for a good, a good proper health care um, and fewer choices um, to make. Then I think that's those are some contributing factors that that lean towards um the 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 point you made about unequal health care and health insurance i think that is a factor and it does pose a higher risk for black and hispanic women uh, even if their values are such that they love life and believe in life and want want their children um, sometimes those choices are economic and they're difficult to overcome so yeah that that those are those are dilemmas that the community faces
0: What are your thoughts on um, what, you know, what is eugenics and abortion choice policy? Is abortion choice policy aligned with eugenics?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the idea of eugenics is uh, sort of manipulating the birth process and um, uh, the reproductive process. And, you know, um, we we would not really favor that, you know. Historically, uh, we're we're affiliated with the Baptist General Convention of Texas, so Texas Baptists, and historically, we've we've uh, said we we believe in the sanctity of life and the reproductive process as God created it, because we have a faith orientation, and that you know our faith uh, is Psalm one thirty nine that talks about you know my mother's womb, you knit me together in my mother's inward parts, you knew me there, and every day that I was going to breathe, all my days were numbered. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So, if you if you think about how David the Psalmist talked about uh, the the birth process and birth itself, those are the biblical foundations that we believe in, that we follow. That um, life is sacred and really should not be tinkered with. So, you know, the, the reproductive systems were created by God. When they work together, they produce life, and uh, we, we believe in that. Not and not really. A, a, getting in the middle. We're not, we know we're not the creator, we're the created. And so uh, the reproductive process works uh, as is, and, and we don't want to get involved in that. that. so that would not be in favor of that.
0: Okay. Um, is abortion more common among minorities in your opinion?
1: I believe it is, uh, and I think again those reasons that that we uh, talked about are unintended pregnancies and uh, under under insured. When you're when you have an unintended pregnancy and, and minority women tend to have more, then um, you're, you're also uninsured. Then you've got you've got an economic dilemma there. You've got a problem, and if the child is born, and can live, and it's a healthy uh, child then you're talking about some expenses that that are going to come right after that uh, I forget the number but over a lifetime we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars 300 to 500,000 dollars I think is a number I recall probably not exactly right but uh, we serve a community right now near Love Field a 3 square mile radius of uh, uh, in Dallas Texas just above Love Field where Southwest Airlines flies in and in that 3 square mile area there are 90 5000 people living in 3 square miles you know 94% of the people in that community speak spanish there're uh, 98% are hispanic um and 90 uh, so uh, in that area th- there's uh, a lower uh, people that live in uh, you know get on below the poverty level and uh, don't just don't have resources um and so we studied that area and we figured out that uh, the uh, removal rate of CPS in that area is twice the number of, uh, of removals mm-hmm. in Dallas County. It's double, and then the um, the uh, teenage pregnancy rate is three times the national average, and so uh, teenage girls are are li- living in that area and just getting pregnant, uh, probably unintended, and 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 before they can be married, right? So, yeah, I do believe that, and we, I think the numbers will show that minority women are at a higher level of um, pregnancy and perhaps unintended pregnancy, and then the economics aren't there to support them. So I think that's why people who who have a faith orientation like Christians and others, um, we really need our our ministries and our churches to to bring forward solutions. And then with the recent changes in Roe v. Wade in Texas, churches uh, and and ministries have an opportunity to say, okay, say, if you have an unintended pregnancy, then you know we have these resources for you. We we want you to keep your child. We can't just say, "Don't get an abortion." We really need to say, uh, you know, have your baby, and then you know, here's some here's some solutions. Everything from diapers to formula to, you know, uh, uh, just support for the mom in, in in local churches. And then if if they if they need uh, extra help, kinship care, which can be funded by the state of Texas, foster care. And then if they they just can't sustain the child then adoption so the child can live. There are families that want to adopt children and people in churches that can make a room at their table and, uh, and have an extra bed. Uh, children deserve a family. And, um, I think we have to be for something and bring solutions. Buckner certainly does that. We're going to celebrate 70 years of adoptions, uh, this, this next month in October. Uh, and so we've been doing it for a long, long time. And, um, I just think that we just need to be read with ready solutions that are economic in nature. If the problem is economic, it shouldn't be that kids or women choose to abort their children because they just don't have money. We have all the money in the world. We have all the money we need. We just need to put it in the right place to help children live.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So
0: some people call abortion in America a, a, a black genocide. Is this overstating or misrepresenting the case?
1: Well, you know, I think in general, you know, I probably should have my numbers down better, but a certain amount of period, we've seen fifty million babies uh, lose their lives to abortion, and fifty million people—that's just a lot of people. Think about the 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 potential, right? The intellectual potential, the creativity, the economic uh, engine and power of fifty million people—that that could be a country, you know. And so I think that um it's just it's just uh, unthinkable, right? It's just hard to imagine that we've lost that many people, that you know besides the value of life and what each child could contribute and be, you you need to think about the ramifications to our society, uh, just in terms of, uh, again, I go back to economics, fifty million people who could work. Fifty million people, among which could be, uh, could come doctors, lawyers, dentists, teachers, firemen, policemen, uh, military people, uh, professors, educators, and the list goes on. That's just a lot of people. That, uh, so, I think uh, it's uh, it, it's it's a stain on our country, right? The land of the free, and I, I, uh, I, you know, being one that supports life and solutions for life, it it just saddens me that that uh, was allowed to be done, whether it's Black or Hispanic or any uh, Anglo or any child of any culture, it, I, I think it's unthinkable, uh, yet it's happened, and um, you know, we I think we just need to be ready to welcome a child, and a child deserves to grow up in a family, a healthy family, a safe family. That's what Buckner's all about, protecting children and having a place for them. Mm, that makes sense.
0: So some people claim that the biggest problem that black families face is absent fathers. Others say that's a myth or that the bigger underlying problem is corruption, cor- corruption and racism in the justice system. More specifically, the justice system is targeting black men to pull them away from their families and put them in jail, effectively creating the new Jim Crow. Who's telling the truth here and how does, that, how does this impact abortion rates in black homes?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that um I'm just today uh, Jacob sent in the last edits of my next book. Um I wrote a book called uh, the, the title it will be released probably in spring of 2024. It, the title is Never Alone: The Power of Families to Inspire Hope. And uh, the core thought of the family is that you know, we believe that God created humanity, right? So he he created us and he is the creator who created the reproductive process, so people continue to be born. So, when it came time to organize humanity, God chose a family as the basic unit—a mother, father, or children. And I realize there are single moms and blended families, and there's there are different kinds of family structures uh, that are there. But it it boils down to a family, right? Parents and, and children. And um, uh, so one of the so I took ten chapters. I took 10 families in the Bible, and I took a microscope to them and just studied everything I could to learn about them. So there's 10 different biblical families. And what I found, Jacob, is every single one of them needs help, right? They're, they're dysfunctional. They're broken because sin entered the world. People make bad decisions. And, and even though it's God's design, the way they live their lives is not God's plan which is why we need a redeemer and a savior to restore and reconcile and to help us, you know, heal families. But even if families are broken, that's still the unit he chose. And part of that is to have a father in the family of course, and a mother. And uh, you know, my wife and I've been married 42 years and we're thankful for that. And, you know, we've had to work at it. It hadn't always been easy. We have three sons and we're a family unit and uh, you know, sons need their dads, daughters need their dads. And so, again, whatever culture we're talking about, African-American, Hispanic, uh, Asian or, or Anglo, we, we cannot afford for dads to be gone, right? Whether through divorce or just, you know, just separation or just abandoning the family, uh, because th- that, that does leave a gap. Uh, uh, sing- we, we also have a program for single parents called Family Pathways. It's a program where where moms, usually moms, sometimes dads, they'll come with their kids to the campus. They live on seven campuses. There's about 150 families in this program, and it's it's about 500 people. And uh, typically they'll uh, find us because there's an economic issue or they struggle with homelessness or housing. In some cases, there's domestic violence and such, but they come, it's an academic program. So you have to earn an Associate of Arts to finish the program. So the goal is you come as you are And uh, to one of our campuses, you live on the campus, there are wraparound services, but the goal is you're a student, you have to be college ready and you have to be ready to uh, get into community college. So we have in Dallas, we have a relationship with Dallas College and East Campus and different cities. We have that relationship uh, to work with the community college. So the single parent goes to school, earns an associate degree in the field of their choice. They get a job, they have a checking account, a savings account. They are uh, sustainable economically on their own. They get to the point where they don't need any help. They graduate, some stay for the bachelors, some stay for the masters. We have seen some incredible turnaround stories in there. And so single parents can survive and they can make it. And we we, we were there to help them, you know, be on their own two feet. Um, but, it, you know, in the case where there's a, a father and a mother, it takes two parents, you know. And so I, I think single parents are like major heroes if they can do it. And it's possible with the right resources. So I think the absence of a father, whether it's because they committed a crime and they're incarcer- incarcerated, uh, whether it's a Hispanic male or a black male or an Anglo, um, that, that's a hit to the family. You know that, and, and then of course, there's what happens when they get out. You know, do, can they be reunified? Can they get a job? I think uh, Christians and the church in general has very little resource. There, there are some ministries, and, and I and I'm grateful for those ministries that are out there. But I think churches really need to embrace those. I mean, which of us have not sinned? Which of us have not made a mistake? Just because our mistake wasn't legal, you know, and we didn't we, we didn't lose our freedom. Uh, we've all made mistakes. We all need to be rehabbed, you know? So I think that's an opportunity for churches to join prison ministries. And and there are many that have to join in to to say that person that came out after three years or five years, how can we, you know, integrate them back into our homes? Uh, Those children need their dad, you know? And uh, if you look at the percentage of people that are incarcerated, you're going to see higher ethnic uh, minorities, higher black, higher Hispanic, you know, and, um, and so I think I think you you know just plainly speaking you get into prison if you do a crime, and um, you know if you you do a crime because you, you know you're you're not you're not doing something else you don't have gainful employment or you don't have opportunity so there's other issues why people you know feel like that's their only choice is to is to do a crime and then you get caught then you're in trouble. Uh, as I said in, in my household, you know. You, 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 we just uh, unless you wanted the 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 wrath of my dad's belt, you, you, you know. And again, he was a marine, so he you he know, you, you didn't mess around, and he didn't he didn't ask you once or twice, but just one time. So we we had, uh, of course, he was a he was a man of faith. He was a Christian man, and he felt it was his responsibility to discipline us and be there for us, go to our baseball games, and, and be concerned about how we're doing in school. He'd read the Bible to us on Sundays after church. We learned our spiritual lessons at home, and then we went to church to celebrate. We didn't expect the church to do it for my parents. They took responsibility to disciple us, to teach us, to talk about uh, our faith at the table, uh, you know, to to guide us along. So I think that guidance of a dad is just uh, critical. I, I wrote a chapter about that in that book about importance of a father in the home. That's the goal. And then where it can't happen, then we need to come around that single mom to help her, you know, and maybe there'll be uh, dads that can be mentor dads for their children. But you just really need to have a father as well as a mother in in the family. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: What what would you say about racism and abortion that um, that you were not asked about today as of yet? I'm sorry, say can you repeat that? oh sure what would you say what would you like to say about racism and abortion that I didn't ask you a question about?
1: well, you know here's here's what I'd say, Jacob racism is a sin period um it's it's in the scripture you you see you see racism happening, you see you know uh, you Jews and Samaritans, right so um you know the good Samaritan, you know the title. I've often asked uh, friends you know uh, is it do you, you wonder you know we have the Good Samaritan laws here in the us Good Samaritan law says if you're driving along the road and you see someone that's having a, a, a problem or they've had an accident and they need help, it's illegal not to stop and render render help render aid. that's the Good Samaritan law in the United States. I've also wondered uh, what um why don't we have uh, everyone wonder why there aren't any good Samaritan laws in India <laughs> where maybe one or two percent of the population is Christian? Well, th- maybe it's because they've never heard of the good Samaritan story, you know. And so <clears throat> the good Samaritan story is uh, is actually an anomaly because no, and Jesus told the story, right? So no self-respecting Jew would ever say the word good and Samaritan in the same sense. They just wouldn't do that, Um, you know, and so there's the Gospel of John says Jesus had to go through Samaria, right? So uh, uh, if you're in the southern part of Israel and you need to get to the northern part, to Galilee up up in the north or Nazareth, the the route you would take would, would be when you get to the Samaritan border, you take a right. You go to the right, you cross the Jordan River you go up trans jordan on the east side away from samaria and when you get to um, nazareth you cross back over into israel because in the middle was samaria so you you didn't you you went your way around you crossed the river twice to get to where you were going and so no jew would would go through samaria when jesus said i i had to go i have to go through samaria he was on mission he was entering a cross cultural a racially different place and when he gets there and he meets the woman and he says to her, you know, can you give me something to drink? Well, that whole conversation was driven by the Samaritan woman along cultural lines, religious and historic, right? So first she says, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Like, what are you doing in the hood? What are you doing in my neighborhood? Like, you're not supposed to be here. So then, you know, he's, he answers the question, you know, and then, uh, and, and so then she said, he said, I want some water. And she says, wait a minute, you're, uh, you're, a, are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us this well? And uh, he says, Well, you know, if you if you if you knew who was talking to you uh, and the water he offers, then you know you you would have never drink, you'd never thirst again. So then there's a cultural factor in that conversation that she drove. Then there's a historical factor. She's bringing up the history of Jews and Samaritans who hated each other. And then she said, Now you Jews say that it's um, the rightful place to worship is is in Jerusalem. But we Samaritans know we're the true people of God. We know it's Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem. So which do you say it is? And so he said, it's not about place. It's about spirit and truth. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. So that third axis of the conversation is religious, right? So cultural, historical, and religious aspects. And I think we really need to peel that back. All that to say is that uh, you know, racism is not uh, any part of the Christian faith. Even though sometimes Christians make racial comments and they make, you know, discriminatory comments, or people, you know, uh, will make uh, make decisions that are prejudiced one person over the other. So none of that is biblically based. That that's sin, right? That's uh, that's just less than what God, uh, who authors all of life in in all the varied shapes and sizes and cultures and languages. You know the word that's out in the Great Commission is panta ta ethne," right? To all nations. And then, if you look at uh, Revelation chapter seven, there's a gathering of every pe- people, every tribe, every language, every tongue around the throne of all the peoples of the world. That's the that's the end game. That's the end of the party. It's going to be a party with all of us there. So I think it's a it's a, a racism in general is a man made construct that it has no place in the biblical uh, and Christian vocabulary, language, actions, or behavior. And when we act that way, we just have to repent and ask God to forgive us and find a better way. When it comes to abortion, um, killing children is not Something that's taught or authorized, or you know, supported in biblical the biblical text or in the Christian faith, it's not part of what we believe. We value life; it comes from God, and it's precious. You know, whether you're young, whether you're old, and so I just think that um, the whole argument uh, and the issue itself it's it's a political issue, yes, uh, uh, abortion and racism and the the way that people talk about it. Uh, political ret- rhetoric, yes, uh, it is political. But I would like to frame it in a biblical co- construct and in a Christian worldview, and ask the question: you know, What does the Scripture say about these things? And in the Christian worldview, the way we think the world works, what does our leader say and do? His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Let's copy him. That's why I wanted to do the mission to say we want to we want to uh, follow the example of Jesus. So, so what would Jesus do? I'm not sure. But what did Jesus do? I can read that, right? I can read what he did, and I can know what he did, and I can behave that way. I don't want to get into imagining what he would do. I want to know what he did, and that's what I want to copy. That's what his disciples are supposed to do. So, Jacob, I think that life is sacred. Buckner stands for that, and we provide solutions every day for people who want to move that direction and believe and think the same way. And if they don't have resources, we have donors and we have churches. We're, we're related to 5,000 churches in Texas called Texas Baptist. And then uh, we, there are a lot of other churches of all kinds of uh, denominations, all kinds of you know, Episcopalian and Methodist and uh, all kinds of that fly under the Christian flag. We We, we work together. We even though we're, we're Baptist in our roots, we uh, work with even uh, more churches than Baptists across the nation and in other parts of the world. We're, we're in six countries outside the U.S. as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, there's more to say there, but um, I appreciate the questions that you've asked. And hopefully it encourages people to step up and provide solutions. And Buckner's one way to help women who are in that crisis of an unplanned pregnancy and need help.
0: Yeah, and when you're when you're talking about the Good Samaritan, it makes me think of, um, well, pregnancy clinics who are often uh, they they fundraise to provide medical care. They're reaching out to women who are, essentially, on the side of the road, thinking they have you know that they're they're lost, they're broken, they they've been abused, they they feel like they have no choice and. And Planned Parenthood is, you know, offering them, you know, an, an abortion, mm-hmm. and and so pregnancy clinics. I feel like really sort of embody uh, the Good yeah. Samaritan when it comes to, um, yeah, you know, essentially, you know, representing people out of the church community, out of faith believing people who are actively trying to to help provide, you know, care. Um, right you know, inviting people towards healing, inviting people towards, um, right. Yeah. Really good things in this, in this space. And, yeah. and really in the end, yeah. Abortion is just, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's evil. Yeah, and fact, it's,
1: uh, yeah yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Pregnancy clinics make a huge difference. You know, they're, they're, st- they stand in the gap where, a uh, uh, you know a, a woman is uh, is in an unplanned pregnancy she's looking for answers she needs help and uh, it is a place where they, they can turn to for uh, just a time out to think about the the decisions that it's a big decision that you're making <clears throat> excuse me and um, um, there are uh, pregnancy clinics uh, all around that um, provide that that love care and concern, and acceptance. And uh, in some cases, those uh, agencies will reach out to us and say, "We have a mom who wants to, you know, uh, put her child up for adoption." And there are plenty of adoption agencies and parents who would love to take a child. Um, there, are, there are right now about seven thousand children uh, waiting for a family in the Texas Waiting Program. These are not babies; these are grown kids, you know, that reach the age of eighteen and when they are have been in the foster care system because they don't have a family for whatever reason. The state of Texas will hand them a certificate of completion, like a graduation, when they're 18, and a bag or a box with their belongings and say, you know, good good luck. And that's where the that's where the help ends. So we started a program called Next Step for the next four years to help them go through vocational training or their college degree and help them get on their feet so they can have a start. You know, and, and we're their family in that period. And then there's a there's another uh, organization called Connections Homes they match up uh young people who've aged out of uh foster care and maybe gone through our program to be to be their family that 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 young young adult person doesn't live with them but they they know that's their family for christmas and thanksgiving and birthdays and if they get married and who's going to walk them down the aisle and all that so that program is there to try to put the family together again that's god's design and we're always going to try to emulate that so uh uh, I, I think whether you're talking about a, a woman who has to, who is facing an abortion decision, uh, who goes to a crisis pregnancy, and all the solutions that are out there, we're going to drive right back to the family and try to put it together and give them all the resources they can to survive. And we've seen many, 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 many success stories. Uh, in fact, uh, Alicia Howell, uh, I, I went to meet her mother uh, years ago to present a certificate of appreciation. Alicia, uh, was adopted uh, 30, 40 years ago uh, through Buckner. And uh, uh, very, very thankful, I think, her and a sibling. And she ended up becoming the senior vice president uh, and chief financial officer of the 7-Eleven Corporation. You know, because one family said, we have room for a baby. And they took her in. And now she's uh, you know, at the end of her career. And she's joining our board uh, in January. So that's just one of thousands and thousands of examples of what we do when we step up with solutions for life versus, you know, ending a life. And, um, and so uh, we're, we're, we're grateful to be able to provide that service.
0: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time, your, your time, Albert. It's been really good to hear your thoughts you and reflections on these questions. Um, would you close this podcast in a prayer or this interview
1: in a prayer? I'd be glad to be an honor, Jacob. Thank you for for that. Let's do that, Lord. We know that uh, even in my own example, in my mother's womb, uh, my two brothers and I, uh, you you knew us before we drew our first breath. You you knitted us together, and you made me different from my brothers, and you gave me a reason for living and a purpose. And uh, you tie it to redemptive history, and I'm grateful for that, Lord. Grateful for salvation, for Jesus dying on the cross for me and uh, for children uh, who deserve a chance at life lord for all those unborn children and mothers that maybe face a crisis and multiple reasons why they feel this is their only choice we pray lord that that you would speak to them and draw them towards uh, life and towards solutions whether it be a pregnancy crisis center a crisis pregnancy center a local church a friend a relative who would be supportive and and Lord, help us to put our money where our mouth is. And maybe it would cost us to to buy diapers or to buy formula or to uh, provide subsidized rent or whatever it takes for that mother to keep her child. Uh, and so it's not a burden and for that child to have all the opportunity in the world. So we thank you for all the foster care parents, the adoptive parents in all agencies for their willingness to sacrifice and open their homes for a child. And uh, we thank you for the opportunities when we can do it. And thank you for Jacob, bringing these issues to the fore, uh, for people, um, especially ethnic uh, minority people, Hispanic, Black, and others who struggle, and Anglo women who st- struggle as well, that they might find hope in you. We we say at Buckner, hope shines here. We pray that you can help us continue to shine hope on this issue and to give life and and uh, value and, and see life as sacred. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: assim
0: include Heritage House, Patriot Insurance, and irapture.com. The Pro-Life Team podcast is a ministry of irapture.com.
3: If you would like to explore making a donation or becoming a sponsor or have a recommendation for who would be a good guest on the podcast, please contact us at hello at prolife.team.